As the reading this evening is from Zechariah 2, verses 1 to 5. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? He answered me, to measure Jerusalem to find out how wide and how long it is. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said to him, Run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Thank you, Barbara. Quite a short prophecy there, but a very interesting and significant one. And I'd like to focus on that for our sermon this evening with the title, Hope Beyond Measure, and just see what this has to say to us. We're exploring some of the Old Testament passages on some of our Sunday evenings at the moment where the theme of hope comes through in perhaps ways that are a little less obvious than some of the other passages that we've considered. And this is one such. So on Friday morning, when I <coughs> first looked at my phone, I had a number of unexpected messages. Something had obviously happened here in the night. There'd been some vandalism, unfortunately, outside Kairos. And one of the large panes of glass was smashed. And of course, it needs to be replaced. Later in the morning, the glazier came across to measure the window. And that measurement, of course, will be all important to the replacement. There are many areas of life today where measuring is very important and accurate measuring, especially in building work and in engineering, but also in textiles, in other industries, there are some sports, aren't there, where the actual measurement, perhaps of the long jump or the high jump, to the tiniest fraction of a millimeter is significant in those finer details of professional sport. In this prophecy of Zechariah, there was a man in Zechariah's vision who went to Jerusalem to measure the size of the city. Now, your vision might be stretched a little bit to see all the detail on this image. But uh, as I talk you through it, it may at least make some sense to you. Because the city of Jerusalem kept changing in its size. If you can see just a little yellow ring around the words, the city of David, that was Jerusalem at the time when David conquered the city uh, in the sort of first stage at which it became uh, such a significant place for Israel's history. The green gives you an extended view of the city as uh, initially expanding north in Solomon's time up to Temple Mount, and then also expanding west. You can see the green line that's weaving its way around. The city got larger, significantly larger. And then, of course, the whole city was destroyed at the time when the people were taken into exile. And this prophecy belongs to the time after the exile, when a small remnant of Jew Jews had returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and restore their nation. It was before the time that Nehemiah returned 
And he, of course, you remember, motivated the people to rebuild the walls of the city. What did they rebuild? Well, the turquoisey color that, uh, that you can possibly see that uh, goes just above the words Temple Mount. It goes across to the west. It winds its way down, but not as far as Hezekiah's walls. It cuts across. It takes in the city of David and goes back up to Temple Mount. So it's a, it's a different shape. We can't be sure, really, exactly where Nehemiah rebuilt his walls, uh, although the text of the book of Nehemiah is very detailed about uh, uh, each bit of wall being built next to each other and the gates and so on. It's hard to reproduce it on a map. But what we do know is that later on, as we come towards the time of Herod and the time of Jesus, the city had again been expanded to the bit that you can see most clearly, the stronger blue lines, which uh, take in the, that northern section. It takes in the whole of what was called the upper city and the lower city, so that in the time of Jesus, the city was significantly bigger. So in the time of David, it was very small. In the time of Solomon, it was a little bit bigger. Then it was all knocked down. Then it came back, and in the time of Nehemiah, it was uh, partway between the two. And then in the time of Jesus, it was bigger again. So it had been destroyed and rebuilt many times. And uh, the vision here is at a point where the city was still in ruin, but someone had gone to the city to mark out the boundary for the future city. And the question was, how big should it be? Would it be the size of David's city? Would it be the size of Solomon's city? Would it be the size of Hezekiah's city? Or would it be bigger than all of them? These walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed and rebuilt so many times. Its shape and size kept changing throughout its history. So should the rebuilt city after the exile be smaller or larger than the city that was destroyed. And in Zechariah's vision, there was a bit of a consultation between the angels, and one of them ran to the man with the measuring line to pass on this amazing word. Jerusalem will be a city without walls. Without walls. Or a city which cannot be measured. And this person who'd gone along with his measuring line to try and measure the shape and size of the city, the message from the Lord was, there will be no walls. It will be a city without walls. And then the message went on to say that God would be a wall of fire around the outside of the city, and his glory would be within the city. Something very different needed to happen. Here was a clear indication from the prophets that the physical city of Jerusalem was not going to be all-important in the next stage, as it were, of what God was doing in this world. That God had a different city in mind, a city without walls that cannot be measured. This is an important Old Testament vision about hope. Eighty years later, under the leadership of Nehemiah, the city walls were rebuilt. And most scholars seem to think that those walls were sit larger than the time of David, but not as large as the time of Hezekiah. By the time of Jesus, the city had larger walls and indeed became overcrowded with pilgrims at festival times as people came from all over the world. But very soon after that, the city was destroyed completely again. This vision is so much more than what is captured in the story of that physical city destroyed and rebuilt 
a number of times. This is a fundamental message about how God is working in the world today and how we can truly be a people of hope and part of a city that has no boundaries, whose size cannot be measured, where the Lord is a wall of fire that protects the city and where his glory is within. At a time when things seemed utterly hopeless, when Zechariah spoke these words, when only a few people had returned back to Jerusalem, when the physical city was still in ruins, when everything was looking very grim, at that moment, God spoke through the prophet and presented the people with an amazing vision of a city without walls. This prophecy really captures my heart, and I hope it's speaking something to you tonight. What does it actually say to us today about Christian hope? I want to suggest that this is what this picture from Zechariah chapter 2, this amazing prophecy, I want to suggest that it says these things. That first it says something about the greater expectation of growth amongst God's kingdom. Don't set a limit as to what God is able to do. We need a city without walls. We need an expectation of growth that is vast. Jesus said to Peter, as you know, when, uh, when Peter was affirming who Jesus was, Jesus says, you are Peter, and on this rock foundation, I will build my church. I will build my church. And Jesus is building a church which cannot be measured without walls. On another occasion, Jesus said to all the disciples, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower, or gardener, or vine dresser. But I particularly like the translation vine grower, which I think is an accurate reflection of the original words. Because that gives the clear indication that God is in the business of growth for his kingdom. My father is a vine grower. Now, growth may not be measured in terms of numbers, attending a main gathering of a congregation on Sunday. It may also be to do with increasing numbers of people gathering together in other contexts to worship, to study, and to pray. Growth may not necessarily be measured in terms of finances, more money, more people employed, more activities. It may also be to do with a wider range of ministry, wherever God's people are during the week, living as Christ's servants in the world today. Growth is wherever God is at work in bringing people to himself and where his kingdom values are extending across the world. And such growth is difficult to measure. And we're not meant to measure it because God is building a kingdom that has no walls, that is vast. And taking a global view, of course, there has been an amazing growth of God's kingdom in the last hundred years or so. Christianity remains 
a hugely significant global faith community that's far beyond measuring. In a way, something of the fulfillment of this prophecy has already been evident. The Jewish nation was quite contained at the moment this prophecy was given. It was tiny. And then Jesus came, and of course, when he came, it was very clear that God's salvation through Jesus was not just for one nation, but it was for the whole world. And the gospel began to spread across the cultures and across the nations. And then as that has happened and as that has grown, and increasingly in recent times it has grown right across the world, we see huge numbers of people following Jesus Christ and worshipping him today. And there's significant growth in this country too. What an encouraging message that we heard from uh, the higher event on Friday evening that I mentioned right at the beginning of the service. Just last week, um, some people in uh, the Heart of England Baptist Association were able to gather. I missed this occasion, but uh, they were hearing from Beacon International Church, which is just, just south of Stafford, which has seen a five-fold growth in the last few years with multiple congregations. So it's not that there has been one community of people that's become five times bigger, but that out of that one community, there have been four more communities that are all together as one church. An amazing story of growth. I just have a sense that the way that future growth will look like is an increasing number of ways in which God's people are coming together and faith is affirmed in practice. And yes, we trust and pray for continued growth of the gathering together of God's people because that's so exciting. But we also want to see continuing growth in pockets of kingdom life all over the place as God's name is honoured and as God's people live for him wherever you are. But a greater expectation of growth in God's kingdom. That is the vision that is expressed here. A city without walls because it's growing and it's expanding. There are so many more people who need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And you and I are part of God's agents for that to happen. There are so many ways in which our lives can reflect the glory of Christ and help others to see who he is and come to faith in him. So we need a greater expectation in the growth of God's kingdom. Also within this vision, I think we're hearing something about a firmer confidence in God's protection on the city. It's interesting, isn't it, that uh, the angel went to this person who had a measuring line, said Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals within it. And then the Lord said, I myself will be a wall of fire around it. You don't need to build a physical wall because I myself, said the Lord, will be a wall of fire. That's a confidence in God's protection on the city. City walls are there to protect. But the message of this vision is that God will protect his people with a wall of fire. And I think the understanding that I get from that is that we do not need to hide, as it were, behind any traditions that we have or church structures or set boundaries of what we might or might not do and kind of set those up as walls for protection. We don't need to put up our own city walls. 
We need a, a church community that is wide open. This vision calls for a greater openness to the community around us, a greater engagement with those who as yet do not know Jesus, understanding how they think and feel, and a greater sensitivity of life outside of church as well as life inside of church. We can knock down our own walls because God is setting up a wall of protection around his people. So we can be wide open and we can encourage and come alongside everyone of all different contexts, culture, and background. And I get a sense that there is still too much of a wall between those who are in the church and outside of the church. Or instead of using the word church, we could use the faith and say there's too much of a wall between those who are within the faith and those who are outside. The space between the two is that important place in our mission. And being a church without walls says a lot of how we're moving out into the community and how we welcome those who are moving towards Christ and towards his church. A constant two-way traffic, movement of people. And God will look after the special character of his people, a people of faith, the Christian community. His protection will surround his people when we keep our doors wide open and when we're really relating well to those who are around us. So I think this is a vision that calls us to have a greater expectation of growth, a firmer confidence in God's protection on the city. But then most exciting of all, an awareness of God's glory within the city. We need to be a people who are radiating the glory of God, because that's what the vision says. I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. I will be its glory within. We need to be a people of hope who are radiating the glory of God. You see, the temple in Jerusalem was the focus of God's presence. That's where God was especially known and felt. That's why the city was so important. That's why the walls were so important in those days. But the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that you and I as Christian people are the temple of the Holy Spirit today. That the glory of God needs to become visible among his people. There is that very important verse that many of you will be familiar with in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. That we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate or radiate or reflect the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We need to reflect the glory of God. The church is not so much defined by what we believe or what we do, but by who we are. People who reflect the glory of God. What we believe is very important. How we live is very important. But the most powerful evidence of the Christian faith 
is when we radiate the glory of God. When this is happening, that with unveiled faces, because we're trusting in Jesus, because we're forgiven by him, because his spirit is flowing, we radiate. We reflect the Lord's glory. And because I had this in mind, when we came in the earlier part of our worship, to singing particularly Stuart Townsend and Keith Getty's song, Holy Spirit, Living Breath of God, Breathe New Life Within Me. Those three verses, they're very compact words, but there's a huge amount in them about how the Holy Spirit just enables us to radiate the glory of God. This prophecy was written way before the time of Christ and the time of the church. But I think that in these words, we have an amazing indication of the Christian hope which is ours today. We're part of the fulfillment of this prophecy. We need to live in a way that demonstrates the immeasurable power of God, the exciting growth of his kingdom. Will you tonight be someone who is different because you're trusting in Jesus? Will you radiate the glory of God? Will it be shining on your faces? Will it be evident for people to see the difference? The words that you say, the actions that you take, the attitudes that are in your heart and mind are Christ-like. They're full of Jesus. And the glory of God is so evident amongst his people. And the church has no walls. And that glory, as it were, penetrates in and out. As God protects, as God strengthens, as God enables, and his, his kingdom grows. This is a vision of hope. This is an expectation of what the church will become, which is ultimately filled, fulfilled, in heaven. And clearly this prophecy does look beyond this world to that final city where we dwell with Christ in heaven. But I think it speaks powerfully into the life of the church today and the way that God is calling you and I to live. An expectation of the growth of God's kingdom an understanding of the protection that God will bring and an awareness of his great glory within the city. We're going to sing a song which enables us to transition from what we've heard into what we're going to pray because we need to pray that reality into the life of God's people, into our lives, into the life of the church. But uh, to lead us towards that, this song above all powers uh, just something that's expressing the greatness, the glory of Christ above all else.